0: Thank you very much, Graeme. Thank you to everyone for the kind invitation to come today and the welcome I've received since being here. I'm just at home with my family in another place and uh, I would have with me today my own dear wife Barbara, um, who is a a wonderful woman and remarkably patient and every so often God gives her a treat for a little bit of an escape from me for the morning. So I, I, I'm here with, with you folks today, but it is, it is so, so lovely to be with you. I'm used to, I say used to now, on that at least a couple of occasions, um, met with the, the men's fellowship. The, the men get all the treats in this church, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I certainly got to share them. The last couple of times I came along and got to meet your, John and, and, and all the others, that, that the men here, that uh, Hugh and others that, that, that gather it so good to be here today, lovely to be with you and um, I would like to bring you, I suppose you could call it a study or a reflection from one of the most wonderful books, all, it's, uh, uh, someone said what's your favourite book in the Bible, well the last one I read <laughs> but one of the, the most wonderful the, the books in the Bible and even in the New Testament is. A letter of Paul to the Ephesians. I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And so I thought, well, when we went through to our prayer time this morning, our prayer time was opened um, from well, one of the texts that's actually, I'm going to read from today. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I may be in the right place. Certainly the right place physically, but I might be in the right place in the Bible too. Um, and, uh, just to set the theme, I'm not going to read straight away. But if you were to turn to Ephesians chapter one, we'll, we'll dip in there, and I'll probably dot around various points in Ephesians. I'll not be I'll not be long. What time we normally finish? It. Okay, nice thing. Um, I guess my theme or even a title. Give it to today's message would be God's gift to the super rich. What do you give to the super rich? I read recently that Britain's richest divorced woman is a lady called Kirsty Bertarelli. Some of you may have heard of her. Uh, she, uh, she's worth goodness knows how many millions or billions. Uh, she was quite famous. Came quite famous about ten years ago when her husband, for a gift, gifted her um, uh, two hundred. Well, I'll get the I'll get the figures wrong. A super yacht. It costed. It cost two hundred and fifty thousand pounds to fill the tank with fuel. It had a fold down beach and a landing helicopter pad. That's what you're talking about. She got that as I think it was a birthday present from her husband. Um, <laughs> And when you think about the super rich, uh, um, the, the super wealthy, your, your, um, your thought is, imagine if you knew them, what would you get them for Christmas? <laughs> what, what, what do you give to people that already have everything? What could you, what could you, what could you give them? Um, and that's a thinker, you know. But you know, I've got exactly the same problem in here today. I am in the company of the super rich and I do not know what I could possibly give to people who already have everything. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus and a child of God, the Bible says that that's a very accurate description of what you do have. So that sets us up nicely for Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How can I possibly bless those who are already endowed with every spiritual blessing that there is to have? serious problem. In fact, I've got an impossible situation. How can I bless the super rich today? And this is laced right through this letter. It's a wonderful thing. (laughs) My text, really, my base text is later on in the chapter. Verses 18 and 19. So let's read these together. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. This is what you give them. This is how you bless the super rich. I pray that the eyes of your heart. Putting my specs on now. <laughs> That's what you give them. This is what you give them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling. That you might know what are. Are. Present tense. Not pie in the sky when you die. No. What are the riches. I'm speaking to the super rich. Those who have been blessed. every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance you've come into big stuff the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is again is our is it's all present it's all done It's already in the bank. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us? Or as the old King James Version reads, some folks still have it, to usward. I love that, to usward. What the surpassing greatness of his power toward us, who believe. That's what you give the super rich. You give them eyes to see what they've got. And that's all Paul could give to these super wealthy Christians. An eye opener. Wow! That is what I already have. And eons into eternity in heaven, I will have no more. It's mine now. What are, what is and what are. Incredible. We had a lovely conversation with Lorena beforehand and I thought, wow. Um, she told me that she used to work with Operation Mobilization and that's where she met her husband. And I thought, I, said, I thought, wow, because an hour ago I was looking at a picture of George Werber together with Peter Maiden. Both of whom were Directors of Operation Mobilization. And the reason I was looking, I was looking for a reference because I want to recommend a book to you today. I'm not going to preach from it. In fact, my topic really isn't dealt with in that book, but but the title says so much. Uh, One of the best books, perhaps in fact, I would say it's the best book personally that I read during the whole lockdown period. And the book's called, it's by Peter Maiden, who's now in glory. He's graduated and it's called Radical Gratitude. Radical Gratitude. Um, and the next part of the title, it's a long, it's a long, complicated title. I want to get it right, but I want to get the words wrong. But maybe I wrote it down. Radical Gratitude, Yeah. <laughs> recalibrating your heart in an age of entitlement. it's quite a word, isn't it? Now, I've plucked that title in that book because radical gratitude. He wrote that book. while he was dying of cancer. He discovered he had cancer after he'd begun the title and then he was getting tested on it. And he completed a most beautiful book before he left. Passed on 2020, after lockdown began, wrote this beautiful book about gratitude when he was on the way out from here. But that's all right, don't <coughs> belong here. We don't belong here. And the reason that I draw that title here, because this book of the stupendous, almost embarrassing wealth which is ours in Christ, was written from the glorious heights of Roman imprisonment this book Ephesians that tells us of the glories for which we should be enormously inspired empowered and indebted in gratitude was written not by a man who was under the weather we're talking about a man who wrote these words from prison whilst in prison himself you know it's all right for you to say these things Paul wrote these words from, from prison, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, and I'll come back to them. And he calls himself a prisoner, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, calls himself a prisoner, at the end of chapter 6 he calls himself an ambassador in chains, but do you know what I said, I'll come back to that When in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord, He didn't just survive prison, he saw Jesus as his dealer. That's another level again, folks, isn't it? Not just to come through the hard times, to realize this is God's provision for me today. My portion today is prison of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, bless it to me. Amen. Now, you can only say these things when you see something others don't see. (laughs) It's not hard to say these things when you see what he saw. In fact it's unstoppable. It's a wonderful thing. So I would like to pause today. See what were these wonderful riches that he says your eyes need open to these wonderful, wonderful truths. Because when you see these things, no matter what happens in life, I, I like to call Paul the, the jailbird preacher. Uh, uh, not just because he was forever in jail, but because he sang his most beautiful songs whilst inside. No matter what you're going through what circumstances what tests what trials what difficulties what challenges these can be the places that are the most glorious in your personal experience they were for all who would have thought that we would be building churches on these letters 2000 years ago all around the world letters that would never have been written if he would never been sent to jail come on Paul. All, through all Paul's prison epistles. Philippi. Wow, remember he was beaten with rods and thrown into the jail in Philippi. And he praised God in the deepest, darkest dungeon. And he built up a relationship with the church there. And then from another Roman imprisonment he <laughs> must this guy is never out of jail. He sent them a letter back to Philippi. It's called the letter to the Philippians. Another, another glorious letter written from the heights and he did it because of what he saw in the inside while he was there while he was in the test and when I was in the trial he saw wonderful things I want to think for a moment about the wonderful things that he speaks of and we've sung about it in fact we, one of our last songs that we sang there this morning about this hope this living hope so the first thing he says, I want your eyes to be opened to what is the hope of his calling. What is a hope? It's a future reality. It's, a, and it's more than a future. It's a future certainty. It's a definite, tangible spiritual and physical manifestation of something which absolutely definitely certainly will be it's just in the future but it definitely will be and it so influences you that it lifts you in the present because it motivates you it inspires you it fuels you it drives you even and he's saying if you can see what I can see you can understand why I'm so excited in jail if you could see what's ahead, if you can see what's coming, it's it's wouldn't be able to keep you down any more than these chains can keep me down. If you can see what's up ahead, the reality of your future certainty, of your hope. You know, he he kicks it off earlier on in the chapter, Talks about we have been predestined. He knows all about future reality. From before his time, he's saying he was predestined to adoption. We were predestined to adoption as sons of God. We'll come back to that later, shortly. One of the most beautiful passages in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10 you are the workmanship of christ jesus created in christ jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that you could walk in your future was prepared before you were even born you know god's a toolmaker. my wife's cousin's a toolmaker. i visited his, his his workshop one time and it's, an, it's a mar- remarkable thing a toolmaker. maker um, um it's a remarkable it, it takes <coughs> an engineering mind and the way toolmakers think the, the job of the toolmaker is if there's something that needs fixed, but we don't have a tool to do it yet. You know when you get the right tool, the job's easy. But if you're like me trying to make a chisel be a screwdriver, <laughs> and you ruin your scru- screwdriver and you still don't get the nail in right. Or the screw in right. The, the, the toolmaker designs a tool so that the job can be done better and with ease than bashing around using an axe head to be a hammer. And how do you get the nail out again? And when Paul says, you are the workmanship of Christ created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. So God saw ahead, saw the good works that would need to be done. So for that, he made a nickel He designed a Graham, or a John, or whatever, or a Hugh. He designed you with the task in mind. Now you've been made for glory. You've been made for heaven. And I I have no clue what my eternal purpose will be beyond this life. But I know that I was designed with the end in mind. And Paul just says... I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of his calling. That you might be so fixed and so possessed by the end outcome. That it would be such a driving force in your life. The writer to the Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when you have this vision or this hope of that future reality for us, it's our ultimately, it's our reuniting with Christ and in glory in, eternal heaven, um, in, in, in our eternal heavenly bodies. But when you see that, when you have that hope set before you, then faith is the substance of that. Your faith draws from the future reality and causes you to act today in light of that being a fact. To draw from the powers of the age that's to come and to apply them to in the present when i have a hope and i live today according to that hope when i see myself as future gloriously perfected in glory with god in heaven forever that when i visualize myself in that way then that inspires faith for me to live in the present in light of what i will be And what he's saying is, if you knew what's up ahead, you would live differently today. That's the bottom. It's as simple as that. If you could see the hope of his coming, if you could see what is up ahead for you, you would live differently today. How wonderful. Verse 10 in chapter one, it says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, of the times, to the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things in the earth. He was looking ahead to the summing up of all things and he knew God has a plan. God has got a perfect purpose. God is sovereignly in control. When you realize that and when you understand that and you realize God is moving us towards something that's definite and certain, that's up ahead you not only survive or live through the difficulties in the present, you actually start to see these as part of God's preparation, as God's tools in preparing you for that future. And uh, when you see that you realise we have a God who's That God has not allowed that cannot be used and fit into that purpose. That included for Paul being imprisoned, being beaten, being lied about, being stoned, being everything. But that's the way it was with Jesus. When Judas came to betray Jesus, Jesus took the soap of bread and he took it and he gave it to Judas and he said, Now, commission you to go and organize my crucif- crucifixion because Satan I'm in charge of you crucifying me. He gave him this open, and he commanded him he said what you must do do quickly run along Judas come on you've got to crucify me now I authorize you I commission you to organize it. He gave him the sort. Op- what you must do do quickly he went and did it why because God was even in charge of Satan's most heinous act in all of history. God was directly in control of and if the rulers of this age had understood, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord's of glory, but God knew. He even weaved the darkest plans and the most horrible pains together somehow. New Beginnings Church, don't you know that New Beginnings always begins and only begins after death? You get that, don't you? The day doesn't start in the morning. That's unbiblical. The day starts in the night. My Bible tells me six times in the first chapter in the Bible. And there was night, and then there was day the first day. And there was night, and then there was day the second day. And there was night, and then, as if we didn't get the point, it has to be repeated six times for us. That it's not day then night, it's night then day. Is there life after death? There's no life before death. So you want a new beginning, you have to have a dark, a dark, dark, darkness first. Isaiah the prophet saw it. He said, look, darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. You never get light before dark. The day begins in the dark and ends in the light. Wow. That's what our future is all about. Eternal light. Place in heaven where there will no longer be any need of sun, moon or luminaries in the skies anymore because the Lord himself will light up eternal. This is over. But darkness comes first. Death, then life. Jesus said it to his disciples. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And if a man doesn't lose his life, he won't gain it. If you don't die, you can't live. If you don't repent and have a burial, a funeral, through the waters of baptism, there'll be no new life for you. Death, then life. That's a picture. You see, the world gets it upside down, and we think God's upside down. New beginnings. Do hmm. you see it hard out there? Are there tragedies, are there terrible things happening in the world, in our community? Absolutely. I wonder what God's up to. So instead of saying, God, why are you allowing this? We say, Same words, but with a completely different attitude, because our eyes have been opened and we have seen the hope of his calling. We know God is up to something. I pray that your eyes would be open, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. It propels, it lives, it lifts us up, enlightens us for the day. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints I'm leaping over this now. Oh maybe for a month of Sundays on that. Redemption Verse seven of chapter one. In him we have redemption through our blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon the super rich, or oh, upon us, the Bible says. Justification. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Wow. wow. What a gift. By grace you're saved through faith. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. And that's not from yourselves. It's not of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. Justify. Do you know what justified means? This is part of the package. This is part of our rich inheritance. Do you know what justified means? Let me put it another way. This word shouldn't be in the dictionary. It's not in the dictionary. Righteousified. Just means righteous. I'll ask you a question today. If you're a believer, Sin, you confess your sins, you receive forgiveness. Does God forgive you because of his mercy or because of his justice? I'm not going to ask you to answer that because probably most of you will give me the wrong answer, non-biblical answer. When God forgives you, a believer in Christ, he does not forgive you because of mercy. He forgives you because of justice. Let me quote what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and, and what? Come on, there's folk here that know their Bibles. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He forgives us out of his justice, not his mercy. He is faithful and just to forgive you us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of what the precious blood of Jesus did for me, it would be wrong and sinful of God not to forgive me when I sin and ask for his forgiveness. The price was paid by the precious blood of Jesus. Meaning, from now on, God no, no longer just pray. he no longer just forgives me because he's merciful, he forgives me because it would be unjust, it would be wrong of him not to, because Jesus paid the price. Do you get that? Now, if, if we really got that, we'd be through the roof. It would be wrong of God, not just unmerciful, it straight out wrong of God not to forgive me for my sins when I've confessed because Jesus Christ precious infinitely priceless blood paid for that to happen he would be discarding the blood of his son Jesus not to forgive a repentant believer and it would simply be not just unmerciful but wrong of God No, it's his mercy that motivated the setting up and the sending of Jesus into the world. But this is the riches of what I have. Oh, Christian burdened under guilt, forgive, confess your sins and forgiveness is yours in Jesus Christ. And when you have that grace And i know the people who really have that grace do you know how i know it because they're made at forgiving others i know the people who have really received forgiveness themselves because they don't have a problem forgiving others because they know i didn't deserve it either they've had a revelation of their, their own sinfulness and the wonder of the riches of god's provision that they can receive that forgiveness and what you have you give do you know If i had a penny in my pocket I would say grace is a coin with two sides. One is the receiving of forgiveness and the other is the giving of forgiveness. They come on the same coin and one side of the coin just doesn't come without the other. The Christian who finds it impossible to forgive hasn't really understood forgiveness themselves. They've never realised that I too needed forgiveness. Because it comes two sides of the same coin of grace. Forgiving and being forgiven. As Jesus put it, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And if I really cannot forgive someone, it's because I've never known what it is to be forgiven myself. But when I do know the forgiveness of God myself, I cannot but forgive everyone else. Because they are but for the grace of God. sanctification. Not time for it today. But do you know that he's our sanctifier? This is just part of the glorious inheritance that's ours. Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, you might want to look at it in your own time. He says that you were created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore live that way. In other words when you were born again he didn't do a bad job Ephesians 2 10 says you're the workmanship of Christ therefore if I'm a right messer then it's because Jesus did a bad job that's of course a ridiculous thing to say because he does all things well my sanctification was his one and that's why he begins in chapter one verse one by telling you what you are to the saints this letter is written to saints what are saints sanctified ones it's part of the inheritance it's part of what's yours in jesus you're a saint ah oh, could go on all day i'm sorry i feel like i've opened the lid of a treasure chest and there's all these diamonds and rich jewels and oh, i can't just go and go and look Get into the treasure chest. I pray, oh if you could just see this stuff, I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened that you might know what what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is finally the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The power of the Holy Spirit is ours. And that's the, the that's the passage we began our prayer time with, was it not? Ephesians chapter 5. Where it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, a lot of good 316s in the Bible, but here's a good one. <laughs> That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner man. Time's gone. But I want to leave with what you can do. Yes. What you can do. Do not be drunk, Ephesians 5.18 Do not be drunk with wine but Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. I would encourage you, if you're one of these people who marks your Bibles with pens, to get two coloured pens. Any colour you want, a red or a blue, say. And with a red pen, underline the things that God does and only God can do. I've been preaching about them today, then get a blue pen, or another colour, and underline the things that you're to do. Don't think that you're able to do the things that only God can do. For example, justify you, forgive you of your sins, get you to heaven and glory. Similarly, equally, don't expect God to... That was a command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't command you just to, to do something that only God can do. Do you know it's your responsibility, not God's, for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's not up to God whether I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, it's up to me. That's a revelation to some people, but the Bible commands. He would not command you to do something that you cannot do. That would be unfair of the Bible to do that. It would be, be terrible. It would screw you up, pardon my English. So how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Imagine um, you were invited to a break, oh thank God. You're invited to a great banquet. Such as we're at today. This is a banquet. Ephesians is a banquet. Speaking to speak into the the super rich who've arrived at the banquet today. Imagine, and um, you arrive at banquet, and you've got a, a butler standing there at the end of the, the the large table with all the delicacies laid out, and all the foods and drinks, and and he's standing with his with his his his, his, his tails and his his uh, butterfly collar and uh, everything in place, and uh, all the silver wears out. And he stands at the table and the guests arrive and they walk in the room like us here today and the butler says be filled what do you do do we all stand at the table and go uh, stand at the door and go i said if the butler's going to do it Maybe we we wait for the owner, the the host of the banquet. Maybe the host will come and feed us. When he said, be filled, although be filled is a passive verb, something that happens to you. It's you that's responsible to ensure that it happens. He says, no, you go to the table, pick up the food and you put it in your mouth. I won't do it for you. The host won't do it for you. The servants won't do it for you. You do it for you. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit today, there's one reason for it. And that one reason is you. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's two reasons for it. One, God's provided of it. And two, you are partaking of it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And... uh, The word I want to leave with you today is, and I touched on it earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is that God would have you be rich in good works. You are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. And for that, you simply require to. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? You say, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I receive in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't have to lay hands on someone, or your pastor doesn't have to lay hands on you. But pri- it can happen that way. But just you ask, you be filled. Spirit that's your command to-